Hello, everyone. Welcome back to MANA Ministry. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode in our current mental health series, Truth Prescriptions. My name is Chriselle Olasaran, and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. And joining along with me is... Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Katie Elson. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. So thank you all for joining us. And so we just have a quick disclaimer just to remind you that the intent of this series is not to provide or substitute any mental health treatment. Rather, we are here to provide a spiritual guidance of how to utilize the Bible, because there's many truths in the Bible, as a practical guide for your mental well-being. Yes, and always a reminder, if you're in a crisis or, or an emergency and we want you to be able to have help and support, you can call 911, you can call the helpline number on the screen there, and you can talk to someone who can um, be of that support for you immediately. If you're outside of the United States, of course, uh, contact your local emergency line. Yes. Okay, so what did we talk about last episode? The title was resentment or contentment, that ticking time bomb with those scissors in your hand. And the question is, what is the choice that you're going to make? Are you going to be in resentment and carry that? Or are you going to choose contentment? Katie, can you briefly summarize what did we talk about in our previous episode? Yeah, so we talked about the effects of resentment. We talked about anger and resentment, of course, as well. Um, And we learned the difference. We learned about uh, the importance of being slow to anger. Um, But resentment specifically, we learned that it needs to refeel over and over again. And if you refeel that anger over and over again, we talked about the physical impact of that, including increased risk for heart disease and other things. Um, We talked about just the personal impact. um, And I won't go into it because I (laughs) myself wanting to get into it again. Um, So we just encourage you to watch our last episode because really um, that is the foundation for today's episode. So if you don't understand really the impact of resentment um, on ourselves individually, as well as um, on others, our relationships and so forth, our spiritual life as well, um, then it's going to be a little bit harder. You you can still watch this episode and go back to the other one, but we encourage (laughs) you to watch it. And really, again, to be encouraged to make that choice, resentment or contentment. Yes. And so you may have already watched that episode. And while you are watching, you were sitting there like, I want to make that choice. I want contentment, but I'm struggling. The struggle is so real with this resentment. That is where our current episode lies and the subject matter that we're going to address, right? But before we get there, we do want to review the truth prescription and application from our previous episode it says here, identify the anger and the cause of the anger question. Is it really anger or is there an underlying emotion? Refer back to the emotion cycle to express the emotion or in some instances, emotions. If resentment begin identifying the grudges that you hold and tune in to our current episode on forgiveness. Yes. Hi. Right. So Katie, um, are we ready? to dive into our current episode? Yes, and I'll just give a forewarning. Most likely, this is gonna be a longer episode. And the reason why is this is just an absolutely powerful, powerful episode. I have been just, as I've studied this, as I know, Chriselle, that you studied it, there are things that I have even learned and 
I've been able to share with my clients in this past week. And it's just something that is really just heavy on my heart to share. Um, and I know on yours as well, Chrisel. And so we want to make sure that we give it the time and space needed to be fully um, helpful and really transformation um, to result in transformation for our listeners. Yeah. So dare to forgive, right? I know that the word dare rings the bell in terms of things that I studied back in, what was it? I think elementary school. Remember the dare program? But today we're going to dare you in regards to forgiveness, because as Katie said, this is a very powerful episode. It's a powerful subject, right? And it can be more than a subject. It can be transformational, not only for us, but for those around us. Right, Katie? Mm -hmm. So we're going to go ahead and dive into this. But before we do that, let's, let's just start with the word of prayer. Okay. Katie, do you mind leading us in prayer? Yes, of course. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, um, we just want to come before you asking for open hearts, God. This is a topic that uh, many of us have struggled with in the past, will struggle with in the future, or currently struggling, and maybe we're not even aware of it. So God, we just pray that you may just fully open our hearts, search our hearts, and convict us um, to change so that we can um, accept this dare to forgive God, and not just for um, others, but even that we ourselves may be released from that prison of unforgiveness, God. So please be with us now. Um, we come to you with sincere um, hearts wanting to be changed. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So as we said, this is going to be a powerful subject. The question is, where do we begin, right? How do you even start this episode? And so we want to actually start off with a question of asking have you looked around the world today? And if you have, which I'm assuming we all have, right? Because we're living in the world. What do you notice? Katie, what are your comments in regards to what you've noticed? Yeah, so I think maybe people might immediately respond like COVID, right? Um, and the pandemic. But I think after, you know, a couple months and we started kind of getting used to COVID a little bit, People started not just complaining about COVID, they just, they started realizing the climate of our world as a whole is different. Mm -hmm. It's not just, so for example, um, before it might've been, you know, fear about the virus. Now it's, I am at the grocery store and uh, I'm not wearing the mask and somebody comes up to me and they're yelling at the top of their lungs. Mm -hmm. We see a lot of hostility. We see a lot of anger. We see a lot of division. We see a lot of hate. Mm -hmm. And just even in this last couple of weeks, it's come up more and more in my, in my, with my clients, my individual clients in my group therapy. And people are, are coming to me and saying, I don't know how to cope with this. Mm -hmm. There's just so much hatred. Even um, my older clients, my elderly clients, they'll say, this is not the world that I grew up in. Never have I ever seen this, this America estranged mm -hmm. me. We mm -hmm. see a dramatic increase in hostility and anger and just division. I, I definitely agree. I mean, I myself, you know, when I look around, I feel disheartened and there's a lot going on. So yes, Katie, I think we can all agree that that's what we notice, right? Now, what does forgiveness have to do with the climax 
the climate, I mean, of the world today? Well, if you think about it, you know, we just celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And um, I was reading an article and I recommend it to our listeners called The Fading of Forgiveness by Timothy Keller. If you just Google it, it'll come up in the first link. And, you know, it was interesting. It was, it was contrasting the world today and, and different movements today versus how, you know, certain movements were before. And so in this one um, example, it, it provides the contrast between the Charleston massacre in South Carolina. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll even quote here. It says that the Dylan Roof, um, he was a shooter, that nine African-Americans killed, right? So that was the dilemma there. And that, you know, they came, that their, their relatives came to Dylan Roof and said, I forgive you. What's interesting is that today, the response of that, um, there was an opinion piece in the Washington Post and she responded with an article entitled, Black America should stop forgiving while white racists, right? And it was, the article goes on, we won't have time to go into it, but basically um, berating the, the act of these relatives and saying that they shouldn't forgive. And then, but what's interesting is Barbara Reynolds, um, who had marched in the civil rights protests um, of the 1960s, wrote a counterpoint essay in the same newspaper. And I just want to, you know, quote what she says here. She said that the original movements led by Martin Luther King Jr. and Nelson Mandela were marked by, this is her quote, the ethics of love, forgiveness, and reconciliation, which if you think about it, reconciliation and forgiveness, you know, in the movements of that, of those times. And she says, and they triumphed because of the power of the spiritual approach. Interesting. You know, we're, we're talking here about truth prescriptions while admiring the black Lives matters cause and courage. She says she concluded that love and forgiveness are missing from this movement and other contemporary movements. She argued that forgiveness disarms the oppressors and wins over many of their supporters weakening the system. She says, if you get angry, it is a contagious and you end up acting as bad as the perpetrators. Wow. And so it's just, you know, again, in light of Martin Luther King, in light of this topic of uh, forgiveness, we see a, a contrast. We see a, a vast difference in our culture today on the topic of forgiveness. Yes. And so that begs the question, what is exactly influencing this shift in our society, right? What is going on? So we're going to talk about that. What are the influences that are making forgiveness problematic and difficult in our culture? And not just our culture, but in our own personal lives. And I will just say, you know, I don't think often, okay, uh, do I need to forgive this person? I, I mean, even in the context of treatment with our patients, I don't hear my patients saying, do you think I should forgive this person? Right? It's about venting of how frustrated you are and understanding and, and validating that and accepting that and acknowledging that, yes, you have reason to be upset versus what about forgiveness? It doesn't mm-hmm. seem to come up. Right, Katie? Yeah, and, and I'll even share, I agree with you 100%, Chriselle. It doesn't come up on you know, the side of our clients, but even on the side of the clinician, um, we're often not mentioning it because, you know, the, the psychology or the mental health field is promote, oh no, you know, like you said, vent. And um, it's really important that they express their anger. And yes, you, you have to say, and you can, you know, 
um, you know, seek kind of revenge in some ways or justice, they might say, maybe not encourage revenge, but maybe justice. Mm -hmm. Um, And if if they do talk about forgiveness, we're going to talk about this and, and tease it apart further. They often encourage cheap forgiveness superficial forgiveness, not complete forgiveness that was emphasized in, yes, the, you know, prior movements, as we talked about with Martin Luther King and Nelson Mandela, but further back in what the Bible teaches. About forgiveness, yes. Okay, so let's hone into what are the, what is the number one influence, Katie, that you would say is impacting our culture as well as our own perspective in our personal lives? Of forgiveness. So I maybe wouldn't say it's number one, um, but I okay. would say it's a, it's a very large contributor. Well, let me just pause and say, ultimately, we've talked about this time and time again. It's Satan. It's the enemy behind all of this. I'll just say that, right? We know that he's the father of all lies. And so he's selling a false forgiveness, either no forgiveness at all. And we'll talk about why or um, a cheap forgiveness. Now, so that's, that's the underlying uh, character in this, but how it manifests is in a big way in the societal pressures of today. And we'll break that down further of what exactly are those societal pressures. Um, and then the second other contributors, certain myths about forgiveness, and we can see how society also contributes to those myths. And we'll go into the different myths today as well. So yes. do you want me to start off with some of those societal pressures? Sure. No, I can, I can go ahead and start off. I think the first one is to mention just the therapeutic culture that we have today, right? Okay. And so you may be thinking therapeutic, what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, essentially there's a lot of, what does this have to do with me? It's all of a sudden turning inward. Uh, whereas previously culture stressed the importance of community. Whereas nowadays what's being stressed is looking inward and forging this whole concept of what does this have to do with my identity based on my desires, and then moving outward in demanding that society honor your individual identity and your interest. And I think that comes with the whole relative truth. Well, if that's your truth, you can't touch that. If that's your life, you can't touch it. Just got to respect it, right? Mm -hmm. And Katie, so how does this play a piece when it comes to forgiveness? How does this affect forgiveness? Yeah, so um, I'm just going to quote here from um, the article I mentioned prior, prior, impoverished contemporary understandings and practices of forgiveness in modern Western culture. So this is kind of describing, it says, if all that matters is individual autonomy, then forgiveness and reconciliation, which are designed to foster and maintain community, are of little importance, right? Mm -hmm. So again, if it's so much focused on the individual and what the individual wants and to to preserve their individual autonomy, then you're not gonna forgive because forgiveness may threaten my individual autonomy instead of fostering and maintaining community. So forgiveness is either discouraged as imposing a moral burden on the person, or Mm -hmm. at best it is offered as a way of helping yourself acquire more peaceful inner feelings or healing ourselves of our hate. Yes, I've heard oftentimes from my own patients where they've told me, well, maybe I want to forgive because I just want to feel better. Or I don't want to carry this. So I guess I have to forgive. And it's like, do you truly want to forgive? Or is this because this is what's best for you? 
And Grisel, I will, I will say that I'm guilty even as a clinician. And this is something that I was kind of really convicted of while, you know, further studying this is that's often the way that I sell the importance of forgiveness. I'll be like, you need to let go of it. And, and even we emphasize that in the last, um, in the last episode, and, and that's not wrong. It's not no. wrong to say that those are benefits. And even I think God commanded us to forgive because he knew it was good for us. Right. Mm -hmm. So I want to just be clear that it's not that the individual is not important, but the therapeutic culture of today is over not emphasizing, but I would say, um, kind of prioritizing the individual over the community over others as well. Yeah. Yes. So I think we could all agree that that's what we're noticing in terms of societal pressure as well as a therapeutic culture that we're living in today, right? Yes. And I'll just add this, Crystal, if you think about the implications of that, if you really look at today's society with the hate and division and so forth, and with the COVID of, well, this is, you know, my, this is what's right. If we have that um, just mentality and perspective of the individuals more important than the community, of course, there's going to be division and hate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, sadly to say, but of course, yes. Okay. So secondly, now, aside from the therapeutic culture comes what Katie? So in, in addition to that, so the culture is emphasizing the person over the community, not only are they emphasizing the person, but they've also created this shame and honor uh, culture, um, which also is related to and feeds into the cancel culture. So we're We've heard it more and more uh, over the recent months and, and years and so forth of, oh, you know, that's been canceled or you're canceled. So the greater honor and moral virtue are assigned to people, the more they have been victimized. So let me take a step back. So the shame and honor culture is the idea that you're providing and giving more honor mm-hmm. and virtue to those who have been victimized and oppressed by society or others in power. So the further down the existing social ladder one is, the greater the possibilities for honor. Now, some people might say, like, how is how is that bad, right? We, we want to protect victims. We want to protect those who have been hurt. But it's saying that you have, again, greater honor. So it's kind of like, it's not, the individual's not bad, but you're putting um, the, the person above community to help victims not bad, but you're giving them greater honor than those that are, than others who are in society. Yeah. To add on to that, Katie, it says here that other layers of this, right? So beyond just the person and the self, there comes companies, there comes institutions, there comes governing agencies, social media. There's a lot on top that now taking this standpoint, they are not treating everyone equally. But what they're doing is they feel this moral obligation to defend victims. And thereby, there's having a second ring of honor in this emerging culture, which is interesting. It says here, while the highest honor comes to the victims, it secondarily comes to the defenders of those victims. Mm. So if I defend them, I also gain some sense of that honor. And so the pressure, the societal pressure is to want that honor. And to defend the victim as well. 
Yeah, and it's interesting because the 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 article goes on to say that if you think about giving greater honor to the victims and then secondarily to the defenders, you end up valuing fragility over strength, right? And you continue kind of, you perpetuate this good versus evil conflict, but over the smallest issues as people compete for status as victims or as defenders of the victim, it atrophies our ability to lovingly overlook slights. So instead of like, okay, you know, let, let's forgive, you know, let's, um, let's work through this. It's, oh, we have to defend the victim. But most of all, it sweeps away the very concept of forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is seen now as radically unjust, impractical, right? As short-circuiting the ability of victims to gain honor and virtue as others rise to defend them. It's powerful mm. if you think about that. That is very powerful. And it's very deceiving, right? Because it is, it seemed, yeah. It seemed really kind of good initially, but you can see the results of these movements and of these, I should say, culture, um, just climates, is that we're seeing, again, more division. And what's sad, Katie, is that the more and more that you're seeking justice and defending the victim, the further away you get from healing, yeah, and, and being able to find resolution and coming together, which is what God ultimately wants us to do, is to be able to find healing, to function together mm-hmm. versus to create distance and hate. You know, it's so sad, but it's yeah. very sad. Let me give you a practical example. Um, so recently where I live in Northern California, um, there was a, a massive snowstorm, um, so much so that trees were knocked down on houses, on homes, Um, people couldn't get out. And a lot of people were without power for weeks. Mm -hmm. Now, if we take the victim, you know, uh, the honor and shame culture and to have greater honor for the victim, that resulted in an individual. They were so upset, again, that creates hostility, anger, and says, oh, your anger is justified because you're the victim. Mm This, there was an individual that ran over a PG&E worker because they blamed them for the, the power outage and for them not fixing their power. So do you see how instead of, okay, you know, I understand or ex- extending forgiveness for this person, for the PG&E worker, they instead, oh, I am justified in my anger. And therefore, since I'm the victim, I can enact out and, and, you know, express flash. that anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Flash out of my anger. Yeah. And some of you might say, oh, that's an extreme example, but that is an example of how, if you have these mentalities, if you believe in these types of, in the belief system of these cultures, then you, that's going to be the individual themselves manifesting that belief system in a very dangerous and, and scary. And we, what we see the results of society today with the news constantly talking about different um, deaths, murders, and so forth. Yes. So then this begs the next question, Katie. This is in a bigger perspective of the culture and societal pressures, etc. Now, how has this played a role in your personal life? Because we do know that we do reflect the environment that we live in, right? Um, hopefully, not completely, but we're human. We can absorb things, right? So take a moment at this time before we get into this to really 
be honest with yourself and ask yourself as we get go through these next, what is, what is not forgiveness? Do I believe that? Have I been tainted by the societal pressure? Have I been tainted by the therapeutic culture that we discussed? And then we'll go further from there. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to cover the different myths and misconceptions. And I, and I appreciate Crystal just having us pause for a moment and think about, not just think about, but as we go through these, be open and honest about, you know, do I hold these? And if, and we'll talk about this after, but if I hold these, then of course, I'm going to not engage in forgiveness. And so mm-hmm. you might say, well, I just want to know how to forgive. Can we just jump to those steps, please? Well, you can't forgive until you truly know what it is not, what's getting in the way of forgiveness, and then what is forgiveness. So let's jump right in, Crystal, because we have a lot to cover and yes, not a lot of time. So the first thing, um, someone might say, does forgiveness mean that we are excusing what has happened? Or maybe someone might not even ask the question. They might say, I'm not going to forgive because that means you're excusing what has happened. So whether it's a larger movement or something in your personal life, because I I also want to come down to the individual level, um, you might say, you know, that's excusing what has happened. You're saying it's okay. It, that what happened, you know, is what that person did to me was okay. And we'll I've also talk about, you know, are there, does that mean that there are no consequences then also for that person? Mm-hmm. Yes. Cause I've heard individuals say, you know, if I give them forgiveness, if I grant them forgiveness, then I'm pretty much letting them go and saying it was okay. What they did to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're enabling their behavior too. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So let's just kind of debunk that myth. Forgiveness is not excusing something. It's never saying that it's okay. And it's actually saying that it wasn't. I would even go further to say that when you express the act of forgiveness to someone, it's acknowledging that something has been done. Yes. Versus not engaging in forgiveness and holding and harboring in that emotion internally. You're not acknowledging that something's been done wrong, maybe internally for yourself, but it hasn't been expressed. Yes. And let me just, I want to clarify something here. Um, this goes back to our episode on thoughts and thought work is we need to make sure also that the, our perception is, is also based off of truth, because sometimes we might be perceiving that I've been wronged Mm -hmm. and it's our perception. Now, again, we might analyze our thoughts and it might be true. And so Mm -hmm. I'm not dismissing, we're not saying that everyone has a false perception, but we have to look at the facts. Was I really um, hurt? So again, it's forgiveness is not excusing. It's actually saying something was done wrong. Therefore I'm going to extend forgiveness. And Katie, even if it's in your mind, you perceive that something had been done wrong or against you, when you approach that person and you acknowledge whatever it is that you have in your mind, if it was something that was not, it was distorted, the person can clarify. And then that could be resolved for you internally. But if you don't approach the person most oftentimes it's not resolved and it's carried for years. Yep. True. Yeah. Now it's interesting in Exodus 34, six and seven, it says, you know, forgiving wickedness, but it says that God does not leave the guilty unpunished. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of times people, when they're trying to sell that, or, or they're trying to go against forgiveness, they pretend that the Bible is selling like this cheap forgiveness, just forgive you know, say it's okay. And, you know, just 
rainbows and butterflies. No, no, no. The Bible's very clear. God is a God of mercy and justice. And, but we notice in, I love if you use the example of the cross, the cross, Jesus died. Why? Because things, it's a consequence of wrong. There is justice, but there's also love and mercy. Um, and so God was just and, you know, desirous to judge sin that Jesus had to die, but he was also so loving and desirous of our salvation that Jesus was glad to die. That's yes. Awesome. And so, yes. And so instead of putting yourself as the judger claims the judgment, placing God in the judgment seat, as it says in Matthew chapter seven, verses one to five, it says, judge not that you be not judged for with what measure, what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. And then it further says, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye. And look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. Mm. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. But someone might say, well, I didn't do anything wrong to them. Why is it saying, you know, look at myself? It's this idea that it's not necessarily in that transaction oh that person did me wrong and I did them wrong it's saying that we can't be a judge because we are biased we are we have our own faults we have hurt other people so how could we exalt ourselves and that's really part of the culture that we mentioned is exalting the individual saying oh I have the authority to judge if you think about it we really don't and we'll talk about this a little bit later about um, forgiveness requires humility and just recognizing your own filthy state like you have wronged people, you have messed up. And if you have messed up and you expect mercy, how come you're not extending that mercy to others? So should I just forget and move on? So that comes to our second myth that forgiveness is just forgetting, right? Or, or also some requires, um, it doesn't require forgetting, right? Um, so depending on which either or could be problematic. So let's answer that question, Grisel. Does forgiveness require forgetting? No, because logically you can't forget. So it's sort of a yes and no. <laughs> yeah. So no, that's no. where it leads you to the next thing, right? So then, okay, well, I'll let you, I'll let you explain. So, well, let me have you, you said no. So explain no, and then maybe I'll explain yes. Okay. So the original question, does forgiveness require forgetting? Mm-hmm. No, because logically you cannot forget. Okay. So don't fool yourself. Okay. But then yes, in the extent that the forgetting is letting go of the grudge. So when you approach that relationship again, you're not holding on to something and saying, I'm still looking at this person through, the, through these lies because I know that they've hurt me before. So I'm going to put my caution up, scared that they're going to do something to me. Right now we're going to talk later about boundaries. But what I'm talking about is not quite boundaries. It's being hypervigilant. Okay. Um, So does that further explain, Katie? Yes. And when you use the word hypervigilant, I thought about um, this is very similar to trauma. So um, trauma, PTSD is a diagnosis. It's that you fail to recover from a trauma. Which is post-traumatic stress disorder. Yes. Post-traumatic stress disorder. And so there was a trauma and you failed to recover. And so what you know, there's three main kind of, I'm not going to go into that too much detail, but I'll say this, that a big part of um, our symptoms are the memory, but the memory is not the problem. It's the intrusive 
um, thoughts that you have, it's the emotions that you have. And so the goal of therapy is not to get rid of the memory. It's to reduce the emotional response, the thoughts and the distress that you have. Mm -hmm. And so the way that you recover fully is that you maintain the memory, but not the emotions, the distressing emotions behind it. So yes. that's the idea of forgiveness, forgiveness, mm. not forgetting. You still have the memory, but you're able to let go of the pain behind the memory. Mm. So, so to some extent, it's not necessarily a forgetting of the memory, but it's a removing of the emotion that's tied to that memory and being able to have a fresh beginning with someone. Yes. If that person, which we'll talk about later, um, would like that fresh beginning. Now, I love this quote by Lewis Smedes. He's the author of Forgive and Forget, Healing the Hurts We Don't Deserve. He says, when you release the wrongdoer from the wrong, you cut a malignant tumor out of your inner life. <laughs> you set a prisoner free, but you discover that the real prisoner was yourself. yourself. Mm -hmm. So forgiveness requiring forgetting, it's this idea that you are forgetting, right? You're not forgetting the memory, but you're forgetting the pain because you're choosing to release yourself as a prisoner. Yes, I like this quote, Katie, from Mel Robbins. Forgive others, not because they forget they deserve the forgiveness, but because you deserve peace. Mm, yeah. Okay. Next one, Chriselle, is forgiven, forgiving someone a sign of weakness. A lot of people think so. I've heard it plenty of times. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I have to be, I have to be strong. I got to carry this. So if I forgive, I'm weak. I'm pretty much letting them go. I want to be the winner on the side of this battle. And if you think about it, Chriselle, anger, people hold on to anger often because it feels like a powerful mm -hmm. emotion. I feel bigger. I feel stronger. And people just, my clients describe this to me all the time. I feel big. I feel when I yell and I curse, I feel um, like I'm in authority, like I'm in control. And mm -hmm. so forgiveness often feels and is sold by society and by the enemy as you're being weak. You're letting people, you're a doormat. You're letting people walk all over you. Yeah. No, it's a sign of strength. And when you are able to take control of that emotion versus letting that emotion take control of you, that is a sign of strength. And I will add to that, Chriselle, if it was so easy, if it was a sign of weakness, then everyone could do it. But do you know how <laughs> hard it is to get so to true. extend forgiveness? Oh, it's hard. So I think a lot of people who know that it's hard is saying it's weak to excuse their inability to extend forgiveness. Yes. I like Muhammad Gandhi. He says, the weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. Love that. Love that. Well, let's continue. Okay. So I'm going to kind of play the game here. And let's imagine someone said, okay, 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 okay. I want to be strong. But you know what? I will only forgive after they apologize. Mm -hmm. Because what's the point of forgiveness if they don't acknowledge what they've done wrong? And me telling them, it's not going to benefit them. They have to understand and then come to me and apologize. Yeah. <laughs> Is that true? Is it true that you can only forgive after someone apologizes? I mean, if you think about what we just mentioned with the quote of, you know, cutting off that malignant tumor, um, it's your choice. It's your decision. Releasing that prisoner, it, it's less to do with the person 
uh, it has a lot to do with you and, and letting that go. Yeah, I'm just thinking here, like, sometimes people say, if I don't, if I, if I don't wait for them to apologize, I'm not helping them because they can continue with the offense versus acknowledging on their end something they've done wrong. And when they're ready, then I can forgive. Which I think goes back to the other myth that we already covered is if you think that you're excusing behavior by forgiving, then you're combining these two myths and saying, okay, then I won't forgive them unless they acknowledge it. And so they don't excuse it. And then they apologize. Right. Mm-hmm. But again and again, forgiveness, and we'll talk more about what exactly forgiveness is, but forgiveness is your choice. Yeah. Right. And it can't be earned. Yes. Yes. It's we'll given that in, in a little bit. Okay. So here's another, I can't forgive them. I'm going so, to get hurt all over again. Before you go into that one, I want to mention a verse that some people say, well, um, but what about this verse? It, it doesn't, that mean that I need to, um, that I can only forgive after they apologize. Okay. 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 And, and that actually leads into the one that you were just mentioning. Um, mm-hmm. Luke 17, three, it says, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. So people say, oh, it says, if he repents, then forgive him. Mm-hmm. But what this verse is actually talking about, and that's why it says, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. You're first telling him, right? You're, you're communicating what was um, wrongly done. Um, and the, if he repents, forgive him. The forgiveness is saying, uh, is actually more describing the act of reconciliation. So the uh, forgiveness is not dependent on an apology. Reconciliation is dependent on the other party's willingness to correct what was wrong. Okay, so that comes to what you're mentioning. If somebody says, I can't forgive them, they're going to hurt me all over again. Does forgiveness require reconciliation? Does it? And I'll be, I'll tell you, back in school, I took a forgiveness class. And they told us no. Okay. But what does the Bible teach? What, what do we know to be true? The reconciliation based on the verse you just said is what? So it's a yes and no. This is another one. Yes and no. So um, no, in the sense of, we just read the verse that says, if another person is not willing to, th- so if you think about reconciliation, reconcile right you're bringing back together reconcile Mm -hmm. it that is a relationship Mm -hmm. now let me ask you this Chriselle um can you know you're a marriage and family therapist uh can somebody have a relationship with somebody who doesn't want to be in that relationship Mm, that's a hard question (laughs) (laughs) no you can't force a relationship you can't. Both parties have to be in agreement. So reconciliation is dependent on the other person. Now, forgiveness, the yes and no, um, forgiveness does in some ways require reconciliation in the sense of attempting reconciliation, really extending, because some people would say, oh, I forgave them in my heart, but there's no attempt for reconciliation because they still haven't fully forgiven. Yes. And so kind of going back to the whole concept of forgiveness, right? That the enemy doesn't want us to come together 
to thrive together. He wants us to be distant from each other, right? So reconciliation, just by the nature of what forgiveness is, makes sense to have to happen. But at the same time, you acknowledge you can't force the other party to reconcile. Um, and we'll even go further. I, I don't think we'll talk about it now, but in regards to what does reconciliation look like? And is it just making up and being friends regardless if the person hurts you over and over again? Um, can boundaries be set? We're going to talk about that a little later because this is this is probably one of the hardest things, I think, because it really requires you to humble yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and also be vulnerable to be vulnerable. That's the word you got it from. Yes. To be vulnerable. And vo- we talked about that in another episode. Vulnerability is scary, but powerful. Yeah. And if we go back to the example of Martin Luther King Jr. And, um, you know, the culture of that time and really the culture of that movement, um, he was promoting forgiveness with mm-hmm. reconciliation. He wasn't saying, oh, we forgive, you know, the, the you know, white people and, um, that's it. No, he was wanting to bring unity, right? Even if you think about, you know, during the times of Abraham Lincoln, it was for the purpose of bringing people together, not forgiveness. I forgive you from over here and let's not um, have that reconciliation. But if they were not willing, there's nothing that you can do. Now, one thing that's really important um, is because people say, oh, that means that um, I need to forgive. Therefore, I just jump into another relationship. And they're doing the same thing over and over again. Forgiveness is given. Trust is earned. And so you forgive. But then that person teaches you whether or not to trust them into a relationship. Mm, That's true. So that's that's where, Griselle, you were mentioning boundaries, right? You say, okay, these are the boundaries of our relationship. Now, if they show you that more trust is earned, you can extend those boundaries. But, and also going back to our episode on boundaries, boundaries is not just for you, it's for the relationship, right? Because if they continue to hurt you, they're hurting the relationship. So you're not just doing it out of selfish need. You're also doing it for the sake of you, for them, because it's not good to enable bad behavior as well as for the relationship. Yes. Now, I think this is one that does pop up sometimes, I think more, more so than ever. Yeah. What if I don't feel like forgiving them? Yeah. I have clients, um, especially, um, I think those who sometimes come from a Christian background where they're like, okay, I know that I need to forgive, especially, you know, the verses that say, um, in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, for if you forgive men, their trespass, your, their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. And this is the, the ouch verse. But if you don't forgive them, neither will your father forgive you. And so a lot of Christians will be like, okay, I know that I need to, but what if I don't feel like forgiving them? Right. Yeah, it's like that emotional mind wrestling with that reasonable mind. Yep. Mostly, I don't want to do this. I know this is good for me. <laughs> yeah. But I don't want to do it. So what do you do there, Katie? So I think partially, um, you can go back to the last episode and just reflect on what are the benefits, right? And partly we talked about the, the benefits for yourself, the physical benefits, the mental benefits, the spiritual ones, 
God will forgive you. Um, you can also think about um, Ephesians 4.32, as well as Colossians 3.13. It talks about how be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgive one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And we'll talk more about this a little bit later. This idea that um, our forgiveness, even though I don't feel like it, if I remind myself of how I have been forgiven, then that can motivate me um, to then forgive. Now, um, forgiveness requires two inner sources. Um, and this we, we see from the Bible, it says first realistic humility about your sin. So you say, how can, even if I don't feel like it, how can I forgive? Think about your sin. You can only stay bitter towards someone if you feel superior, if you feel that you would never do anything like they did. So take a moment to think, what have I done? What are my sins? What are my faults? How have I hurt other people, whether intentionally or unintentionally? And, you know, in, in psychology, they talk about, you know, the fundamental attribution error and all these different biases that we have that we judge other people based on what they do. And we judge ourselves based on our, um, our motives. So it's very unfair, but we need to be truthful. Just like we talked about with our thoughts, we need to be truthful. So look to yourself and say, you know, have I hurt somebody? Have I done something wrong? Those who won't forgive show that they have not accepted the fact of their own sinfulness. That's powerful. That is. And I think that we can all say we're guilty in that aspect because we're all sinners. Yeah. We compare often our best to people's worst. Mm -hmm. I'm okay. Right. You can think about, um, you know, in the Bible where it talks about, oh, thank you, God. He's, you know, this, this, this man is praying. He's like, thank you that I'm not like so-and-so that sinner. Right. But take a moment to ask God, humble our hearts. God, show me when Paul says he's the chief of sinners. He's saying that he's capable of sin as the worst criminals are. I, you know, I'm just saying, I don't think of myself as the worst criminal, but he mm -hmm. says chief sinners to remain unforgiving means you remain unaware of your own profound perpetual need for forgiveness. Yeah, that's, that's deep. And honestly, Katie, at least for my, in my own personal life, the way that I've been able to see how I also have sin in my life and that I'm not perfect is asking that God uncover the veil that I have, that yep. it's not allowing me to see that. Yep. <clears throat> it's a hard prayer because yeah. he does answer it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I'm saying that from experience yep. um, pray for strength to see it and humility as well. And then I, in my own personal life, what I've noticed is once that veil comes down, forgiveness, I'm not going to say it's easy still to do because I'm still in my human nature, yeah. but it is easier. Yeah. Now, Chriselle, the second part to that is yes, rec recognize, you know, your, your sinfulness that requires humility. But this realistic humility needs to be also combined with joyful assurance of your acceptance in Christ. Christ. Because if you're so simple and so weak and fragile, then you think, oh, and you just stay there, then you're often easily hurt by others. But if you combine that with assurance and confidence and that God forgives you and God can, can change you, then you will want that to extend to others as well. And also then that also doesn't make you so bitter about being hurt because your assurance is in Christ. You're not moved. You're not moved easily. Your identity can't be 
can't be shaken. If somebody says something or does something to me, you know, that's between them and God. It doesn't hurt me. That That's something that God will judge them for. Um, I like here where it says, the more we rejoice in our own forgiveness, the quicker we will be to forgive others. I think that's also something to be mindful of, Katie, is acknowledging our own sins. But if we're not going to Christ and asking for forgiveness and humbling ourselves, it'll be very hard for us to even bring up the concept of forgiveness towards our brothers and sisters in Christ, towards our friends, our family, because that subject matter, that notion of forgiveness is not even in our own hearts to desire for ourselves. So then why am I going to give something to someone that I don't desire for myself? Yep. And Crystal, you know, just a verse or two verses to think about um, that forgiveness that God extends to us. This is Micah 7, 18 and 19 says, who is a God like you pardoning iniquity or sin and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will, so this is now talking to God, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea, which if you think about that, that's to be never remembered again. If he does that for me, I need to extend that to others, which comes to our second point. Not only are you doing it for others, so even if I don't feel like it, I do it for myself, but I also do it for others. This is a powerful point. The New York Times columnist, um, Elizabeth Brunig, She says, if we continually deny people the opportunity to have an identity apart from their punished identity, then you're inviting them to permanently inhabit that failure. You're Mm -hmm. condemning them and permanently. She goes on to say, in other words, not to change. And even if they do change because they are good hearted, they will not be able to reconcile with anyone as long as they are presented with an identity that is attached to their failure. So you are holding them to that failure for the rest of their lives. And so you are in some ways, like as she mentions, condemning people to a fate of failure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's deep. Mm -hmm. That's so true. And so forgiveness isn't just about us. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's also, yeah, wow. And not only is it not just about us and our feelings, but it's, it's a choice. It's a choice that requires faith that the feelings will come later. And also this is a really important point that we need to stress. And we'll maybe talk. We always we keep on saying, we'll talk about, it I later. know <laughs> like, when are we going to talk about it? <laughs> but forgiveness is a process. So in Matthew 18, 21, when Peter comes to Jesus and asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or my sister who sins against me? He says up to seven times. And this is interesting because um, the Jewish culture at that time uh, was saying like, oh, three times. And that's interesting because that's kind of how our culture is too. First strike, two strikes, three strikes, you're out. And you're out. Right. Mm -hmm. And so Peter's saying, basically what he's saying is he knows the Jewish standard is three. So he's like, oh, Jesus, should I, should I do it seven times? Like he thinks he's, he's presenting himself well. And Jesus responds. Do you remember what he says, Chriselle? I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Mm -hmm. Or 70 times seven. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so this verse teaches us that it's not a one-time choice. And then all of a sudden we've arrived at forgiveness. It's a journey, a journey to keep on forgiving, moving forward until you experience the freedom of forgiveness. 
which can be experienced and it feels wonderful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So forgiveness is a choice, mm -hmm. right? We talked about the things that forgiveness is not, mm -hmm. and it's an act of the will as Corey Ten Boom. She's the one from the Holocaust, correct? Mm -hmm. Where a lot of people would say you have all the right not to forgive because that act is yeah. unforgivable. Yes. Yes, Crystal. So she, if, if you just um, read her story, uh, it is a powerful story of forgiveness, right? Mm -hmm. Think about it. Like the Nazis, the hate that the Nazis had for the Jews and just the genocide, you would think, yeah, she has the right, her individual autonomy mm -hmm. to not forgive. But what does she say, Crystal? She says, forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Yeah. Okay. So it's an act of will. Feelings, you know, it's not based off of feelings. It's based off of choice. And forgiveness can be granted before it's experienced. And so you can ask God to help you forgive. She also furthers, has a prayer. She says, Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And so I discovered that it is not on our, our forgiveness anymore than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his Christ's forgiveness. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives us along with the command, the love itself. So forgiveness can't even come from us is what she's saying. I can't. Okay, Gersel, I know we're running out of time here. So um, let's briefly maybe talk about um how do I know I need to forgive someone? Okay. Well, we want to point back to your triangle, right? Because your triangle, referring back to the CBT triad of your thoughts, your emotions and feelings, your behaviors and actions, it's a reflection of what's going on in your life. Yeah. Right, Katie? And so look at your present thoughts, your emotions and your behaviors. Let's start off with behaviors, right? If you're noticing, okay, I'm tending to put a lot of distance between me and this person, or I tend to be triggered around this person and I don't have any reason to be triggered, right? Or maybe you just notice that you're demanding fairness in a particular relationship. There are many things that could be here, or even maybe you isolate yourself from particular people or from the world itself, because forgiveness isn't just between people as well. There are different levels of forgiveness, right? Um, emotions, do you tend to carry grudges towards a person? Or when you're around a particular person, do you feel uncomfortable? Maybe you're harboring something that forgiveness can heal. Or your thoughts, when you're around a particular person, are your thoughts tend to be negative? When you're interpreting their, their behaviors or their motives, is it negative? That could be because you're harboring resentment towards that person. And forgiveness can bring healing. You want contentment over resentment. Right, Katie? Yeah. <laughs> and you can also just kind of reflect back on past hurts and pains, those mm -hmm. events. Think of those. And then start thinking who was involved. And then think about the emotions or thoughts and behaviors that might come up for past events. And, you know, Crystal, you briefly mentioned this, and I just want to highlight this again, dig deeper. Maybe it's not just a person. Maybe it's um, something that we talked about, you know, at a macro level or larger level, um, maybe you're mad at COVID 
you you mentioned that to me yourself yeah maybe you're mad at oh i have a, a client who's very mad at donald trump um, and that he's the reason behind all of our problems um and i'm not making a statement of whether you know what's no kidding i have a client who's mad, who's mad at biden so <laughs> people are mad at all of his people <laughs> but the idea is that you could have anger and resentment even towards people who are not close to you or who have maybe not impacted you directly but you're perceiving that they they have so search your hearts now part of that those steps we're going to now cover some steps acknowledge the hurt step one so don't minimize it don't deny the wrong that's done against you again we said don't excuse it we're not excusing the offender um, you can also kind of write it down journaling helps with acknowledging the hurt which also then leads to our second step identify your emotions right what are the emotions that are coming up for me because we want to express those which you can go back to the motion episode um, of how to express and then Chriselle, the number three is really important what's the third step in the process of forgiveness it's making the commitment to forgive because remember this is a choice this is an act of will not an act of feeling make a commitment to forgive. So make a personal or if possible, even a public commitment. I really admire people who are able to do that public commitment. Um, I admire them so much to forgive the person for what they have done. And remember that by doing that public commitment, you are also in a way encouraging and even empowering those around you to be vulnerable and to do that as well. That is so beautiful. I mean, if that's what you're going to do, all to you because <laughs> uh, I know that that's hard just commit to not using the thing they've done against you as a weapon against them because it's so easy for us to justify it in our heads right oh I haven't done anything wrong they did it to me first yeah. if they hadn't done it I wouldn't be doing it to them right that's so here when you have doubts about whether you really forgave the person remember the commitment you made to forgive remember that forgiveness is a choice and not a feeling okay so upon Katie having that commitment to forgive, mm -hmm. what comes next after that? Is it done, the process? No, you need to then be intentional about canceling the debt. Now, canceling the debt includes uh, three main components, um, upward forgiveness, inward and outward. So upward is embracing divine forgiveness. So remember, he's the root to our ability to forgive. So Christians live only by God's free forgiveness. And therefore, by reflecting on that, that upward forgiveness, they're able to extend it. Says so this means that Christians have no ultimate warrant to revenge. They have some insufficient knowledge to know what an individual actually deserves and have the comfort of knowing that any, uh, that no one in the end will get away with anything. Again, God is a God of justice. So embracing divine forgiveness and also acknowledging that God is a God of justice. Every time we pray, Jesus tells us through the Lord's prayer that we are to immerse ourselves in the rem remembrance, remembrance of our free forgiveness, forgive ourselves, God, as we forgive our debtors through the costly sacrifice of Jesus. So that's the upward. Uh, Crystal, what's the inward um, forgiveness? This is when you look inwardly and you give up the desire or even when you think you have the right to get even. So to forgive is to give the perpetrator a gift they do not in any way deserve or that they've earned. So we talked about that also as a myth. While the perpetrator has been simply unfair to you, now you are merciful, mercifully unfair to them. Chris, and they're I'll left to think, 
Say that again and, and a little bit. Oh, more how can they do this to me when I've done something so wrong to them? I'm going to say this again. While the perpetrator has been sinfully unfair to you now, you are mercifully unfair to them. You give them something not fair. It is better than fair. It is mercy. Wow. Mercy. <laughs> right. This is attitude. How do you say that? Attitudinal. Attitudinal forgiveness. Yes. Wow. Wow. So, so that's something you can do whether or not they have actually repented. Yes. So that's inward granting inward forgiveness. But a lot of people stop there. Satan wants us. Oh, you know, I feel better because I did it inwardly. But the next part is outward forging a reconciled relationship, which actually leads to that our being our fourth point, make attempt reconciliation. So finally, the ultimate goal of forgiveness is that reconciled relationship. Martin Luther King was right when he argued that um, to say, I forgive you, but I don't want to have anything to do with you. So he's saying that that's a contradiction in terms. You have not embraced your divine forgiveness nor granted inward forgiveness if you refuse a reconciled relationship. But again, so this is part of then boundaries. Remember, forgiveness is given, trust is earned. Make an attempt to reconcile while keeping in mind boundaries. Um, and with boundaries, you know, that depends on every, every relationship. And we would encourage you to go back to that episode. Yes. Kidding. It's interesting. It says here that to refuse to begin work on a reforged trust relationship, something that takes a great deal of time and effort is actually a way to get revenge. Doesn't mm. seem as though that's revenge, but in a way it's like passive revenge, passive aggressive now, Chriselle, we want to conclude our episode with a powerful story um, about forgiveness and to illustrate to us the power of forgiveness and, and to encourage us and to dare us to forgive. And what what story is that? What, which one do we want to share with our, our viewers today? Well, back in 2006, in October, um, it was all over the news that a gunman actually took hostages from a one-room Amish schoolhouse in Pennsylvania. Not only did he take hostages, but he shot 10 children, young children from the ages of seven to 13, five of which whom died. And then he, he committed suicide by ending his life. Um, and what's so powerful about this story is the way that the Amish community responded. We could have all the, the reasons not to forgive, right? How could this person do this? Children died innocent children that couldn't live their lives, right? But what happens, Katie? Why is this story so relevant to our subject today? It says that within hours, mm. wow, within hours, members of the Amish community visited both the killer's immediate family and his parents, each time expressing sympathy for their loss. What? Mm. Oh my. Yeah. Instead of turning inward, as the culture suggests, Oh, poor me. I'm the victim. They immediately had inward forgiveness. They had the, the upward forgiveness, the inward, and then the outward. Yeah. It says the Amish uniformly expressed forgiveness altogether as a community of the murder and his family. Their forgiveness and love shown toward the shooter and his family amazed many. Numerous voices called Americans to emulate the Amish and become more forgiving. And we want to encourage our viewers to also emulate. Now, but the question then that, that, that begs, um, that is begged here is how did they do that? Not just 
you know, we talked about the steps, but what's at the core of those steps, Chriselle? So they say here four years later that a group of scholars, they wrote about the incident and their main conclusions was that our secular culture is not likely to produce people who can handle suffering the way that the Amish did, sadly to say. Mm-hmm. Okay? They argue that at the heart of their faith was a man dying for his enemies. Wait, what man is this? What man is this? This is Jesus Christ himself. So these scholars are reflecting on the Amish's ability to forgive. And they're saying the reason why they're able to forgive and have this astonishing forgiveness is because at the heart of their faith, the Amish's faith is a man that they worship that died for his enemies. And Katie, it's not that only that they worship, but I like how they put here through their practice, which is something you do daily, right? This self-sacrificing figure was seen, was sung, was believed, was rehearsed and celebrated constantly. Okay. Because not I, honestly, I think it's not so much just to acknowledge that Jesus did that. It's to live as though you believe the power in that death and the meaning of it. And to really meditate and, yes. and dwell on it. It's kind of like yes. the verse that says, you know, um, to meditate on these things, whatever things are true and lovely and so forth, right? To constantly ponder on and over and over and over again. And wow, Grisel, that's powerful. The enemy tells us to go over and over again, a resentment to refeel over and over again. And the way to combat that is to refeel or to recenter on Christ and what he has done for us. Yes. Like you said, Katie, um, not in this episode, but before when we were discussing this, that Christ is what the author and the finisher of our faith and our forgiveness of our faith and our forgiveness, right? He instructs us to forgive and he is the ultimate judge at the end to finish. Yeah. And Crystal, if you think about, you know, not just Jesus dying on the cross, but if you think about really what he went through and to be whipped and, and to be killed and yet he's on the cross in so much pain and agony. And he looks down and he says, father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That is our example. And that was the example of the Amish. It says for Jesus to give his life and forgive his tormentors was an act of enormous love and spiritual strength. And so within their worldview orientation, the Amish saw forgiveness as the greatest gift and virtue. And so we want to dare you to forgive. It's not easy. That's why it's a dare. I dare you to forgive. But although not easy, we can guarantee that both for you, for that person, and for our society as a whole, right? We would have many, many blessings and community. It'll foster community, fellowship, and connection. Amen. So I feel moved and I'm not even the viewer. Yes. <laughs> so let's, Griselle, let's have a word of prayer. And then we, let's actually, let's look at our, our application, our truth prescription, and then we'll have a closing prayer. Okay. So as we were just mentioning, we're daring, right? Yeah. You all to forgive. So what's the, the dare here, Griselle? We see. Yes. Go ahead. 
we dare you to forgive because we know that in the world we live in today, it's hard, right? Number one, identify the areas of or the persons in your life that are in need of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And we're saying identify because we know that all of us are sinners and all of us can either need forgiveness or extend forgiveness. Apply the steps outlined that we discussed. And don't forget the anchor of your forgiveness. As we mentioned about the story of the Amish, hold on to Christ. Meditate daily on what he's done for you mm -hmm. and for others. And that will bring you to the point of humbling your heart and desiring the same for your brothers and sisters. Yes. Crystal, can you pray for us so that that can not just be our prayer, but also yes. our experience? Yes, yes. Dear Lord in heaven, we need you more than ever when it comes to forgiving, Lord, because it doesn't come from within ourselves, Lord, but it comes from the example that you set on the cross. Help us to meditate on that daily. Help us to desire that, um, not only for ourselves, to seek forgiveness from you, Lord, in the ways that we've fallen short of your glory, the ways that we've, we've committed sin against you, but also, Lord, help us to be willing to extend forgiveness to those around us, Lord. And we pray that in the act of forgiveness, that not only our relationship with our brothers and sisters is healed, but ultimately, Lord, their relationship with you, Lord, is healed and not only healed, but drawn closer, Lord. We ask that you bring to our remembrance, bring to our minds, to our hearts, the areas in our life that forgiveness can bring healing, Lord, and help us to have the courage, Lord, and the strength from you to move forward and to act upon this desire. Thank you, Lord, for being the ultimate example of love. And we ask, Lord, that you continue to guide us through these episodes to learn more about the truth. And thank you, Lord, for giving us the truth and being the source of all truth. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So we will see everyone in two weeks for another episode. And as always, we encourage you to not only watch, but to subscribe, to follow, to share with a friend, especially this episode. It's so needed. There are people that are still bound to a lack of forgiveness. And as always, Chriselle, don't forget to take, take your, your daily dosage of the truth. Why, Katie? Because <laughs> if you know the truth, the truth sets you free. free. Amen. Bye, everyone. See you in two weeks. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.